If this is your first time to RUF this semester, what we've been doing this semester is trying to answer the question, who is Jesus? And the reason we're going about answering that question is because that really is sort of the million-dollar question. For the, for the types of claims that Jesus made, to just ignore them is actually foolish. So if we're going to have any intellectual integrity, we at least have to look at them and assess them and evaluate whether or not he was crazy, pure evil, or if he was actually legit. And so we're going through the Gospel of Mark. And so the first eight chapters of Mark is going about answering that same question, just who is Jesus? It focuses on the identity of Jesus. And so we're just going to, uh, we're going to continue this. Mark chapter 2, I don't have it in front of me either, so I'm going to just read it as we do it. Mark chapter 2, verse 18, this is God's word. So let's get serious. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst, and the skin uh, will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. This is, this is God's word for us tonight. And if you would, let's pray before we uh, consider it. <clears throat> Father, uh, we would ask you to come, thou fount of every blessing. We do ask that you would teach us and, and tune our hearts to sing your grace, to see your grace, to relish in your grace. We do pray uh, that in these next few moments you would be our teacher and um, open up our eyes and unclog our ears so that we would really see and behold what is true and what is beautiful and uh, what is right. And we would ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, one, of my, one of my favorite things when this happens organically is when people get together and start trading YouTube videos. You know what I'm talking about? When you're, when, you're, when you're sitting around, hanging out in someone's house or apartment, and someone's like, dude, have you not seen the one where like, the dog is like, running in its sleep and then gets up and runs into the wall? And it's hilarious. So somebody pulls out a computer, and you look it up, and you watch it, and you laugh, and then the other person's like, dude, you've got to, you've got to see this one. And so you, know, you trade. You can do that for hours, as I'm sure you have. But one of the videos that I was exposed to this past summer was the video by Krispy Kreme. And I'm not talking about... The donuts, Krispy Kreme, but the but the rapper who goes by the name Krispy Kreme. Now, if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, let me set it up for you. Krispy Kreme is apparently, apparently, allegedly, this like 15-year-old kid making homemade rap videos in his basement, and he's like. Uh, carrying around BB guns and he's showing off his like swimming trophies and uh, he's just he's just uh, a little country fried if you know what I mean and he, he's got he's got his sidekick that's with him in every one of his videos named Moneymaker Mike and uh, it's it's hilarious now I just I want to read you a few lines from the video the first video that kind of went viral and got millions and millions and millions of hits called 
the baddest. Here we go. I have 400 cars. I have 400 scars and 400 guitars. I have 400 houses. I have 400 mouses and 400 houses. I made out with so many girls. I made out with every girl in the world. I dare you to try to punch me. My face is so hard, you'll say, ouch, you crunched me. (laughs) Now, (laughs) part of the reason why he is literally getting millions and millions of hits is because he's he's making these outlandish claims with a straight face. And uh, you just, you kind of watch and you know that this guy's a little out of touch with reality. Now the reason I bring this up is because Jesus in this passage is going to make some enormous over-the-top claims as well. But the biggest difference is between Jesus and Krispy Kreme <laughs> is that for Jesus... Billions of people, billions of people across all types of different cultures have said, yeah, I actually believe that those claims are true. And those claims have actually transformed my life. And so, like I said, if we're going to have any intellectual uh, integrity at all, we have to take this seriously. We have to at least investigate this. Because if it's true, then... We've got a lot to learn, a lot to gain, a lot to benefit from. And what Jesus is basically doing in this passage, the enormous over-the-top claim that he's making is basically this. I am the center of all spiritual reality. I'm the center of all spiritual reality, which raises questions for us, raises questions for you, raises questions for me. Well, then how do I know if my spirituality is legit? How do I know if my spirituality is authentic, if it's real? Well, we're going to learn that you will know, you can know, that your spirituality is legit, that it is authentic, that it is real when you see three things happening in your life. When you, you will know that your spirituality is authentic when you first enjoy the love of Jesus. Second, when you submit to the agenda of Jesus. And then third, when you understand the story of Jesus. Those are the three things I want to explore with you tonight. We'll look at these one at a time, but just to repeat, you will know that your spirituality is authentic, that it's legit, that it's real, when you enjoy the love of Jesus, when you submit to the agenda of Jesus, and then when you understand the story of Jesus. First, you will know that your spirituality is authentic when you enjoy the love of Jesus. Well, the story begins, and these, um, uh, these guys named, um, well, the disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees were fasting. These were the religious people of the time, and they, you, the, the language is implied that they are actually doing this a lot. They were fasting a lot. If you jump over to Luke chapter 18, which you don't have to look at right now. Just take my word for it. Look it up later. Luke 18. You're informed uh, that the Pharisees fasted twice a week, skipped meals twice a week. They were hungry often. Now, uh, the Bible, actually in the Old Testament, God commands you to fast once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. But the Pharisees sort of upped the ante and they were just fasting all the time. And because they were fasting all the time, that had become the new standard of measuring spirituality. That had become sort of the cultural way of, of determining whether or not you were like serious and devoted and on fire is if you, if you fasted. 
It, I mean, it's, it's similar to today, to today. We have extra-biblical standards that we use culturally to determine whether or not someone's serious spiritually. And so some people will say, well, you can measure how you're doing spiritually by how many quiet times you're having. Or somebody you know, will come to you and say, well, you, you, can, you can measure how well you're doing spiritually by how often you're sharing the gospel. Or you, you, can, you can measure how well you're doing spiritually by how jacked up you get emotionally during worship, how on fire you are. I mean, all of those are great things. You're just not going to find anywhere in the Bible that those are the standards, those are the, the thermometer to determine how well you're doing spiritually. But this is what was happening at this time. These folks were fasting all the time, and because they were, that was the cultural thermometer of determining whether or not you were really seriously spiritual. So they come up to Jesus and his disciples, and they come up to Jesus, and they're like, dude, what's the deal? Why don't your, why don't your disciples fast? They, they're not, they must not be devoted. They must not be serious. They must not be legit if they don't fast. Now, Jesus could have responded in lots of different ways. He could have said, y'all, chill out. It says in the Bible to do this once a year. Y'all need to gear it down a little bit. Easy, psychos. But he doesn't do that. And he doesn't, uh, he could have said, well, you know, I'm actually all for fasting. If you heard my sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, I talk about fasting in there. If you missed it, download the podcast. Uh, He doesn't say that either. What he says is, Very interesting. His response to this question is fascinating. Look at verse uh, 19. His response is, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. Now, what is going on? He starts talking about weddings. Why? Well, um, back in 2006, on a hot day in April, I married uh, the girl of my dreams, Catherine Drinkard was her name, and uh, we fixed her last name and gave it Howell. And uh, but our, you know, I, I do a lot of weddings now. I do weddings for students, and the more, you know, I, I'm doing more and more weddings. But I have to say that our our wedding really was uh, the best. And I mean, I'm just saying that just objectively. And uh, our wedding was great. We had uh, this like all you can eat massive. Uh, feast of food. There was a whole like bar dedicated just for mashed potatoes. You know, you're gonna make your own little mashed potato thing. We had um, we had an open bar. We had uh, a Motown band that played like uh, Outkast and Vanilla Ice. We had uh, we had all of our family there. All of our closest friends were our 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 you know bridesmaids and groomsmen. It was just it was. Amazing. Now, what if in the middle of the reception, while everyone's dancing and celebrating and drinking and eating and, and enjoying the night, I look over and I see Catherine in her wedding dress, arms folded, sitting at a table, not eating, not drinking, not dancing, not doing anything. And I come up to her. I'm like, sweetie, what's, uh, what's the problem? We just got married. Let's celebrate. Why are you, why are you depressed? You're jumping the gun on that. That will, that will come in time, but, but why right now? And what if, what if she were to say to me, well, you know what, Matt? I have chosen uh, this to be the day that I fasted and that I abstained from food and I, and I contemplated my need for Jesus and I mourned my own sinfulness. I, I would have been... Uh, Offended? I would have thought this is really freaking weird. <laughs> this is rude. This is selfish. What's going on? She didn't do that, obviously. But that's basically what Jesus does in this story. 
He says, look, he puts himself in this example as the groom, as the husband. And he says, look, as long as, as, long as my people are with me, when they're in my presence, uh, they party, they celebrate, they, they dance. And notice, he could have used any image he wanted. He could have used the image of him being a king or a prophet or a priest. Instead, he uses the image of bridegroom, husband. He uses this image of intimacy and love. And he says, when I'm with my people, they enjoy my love for them. And so that, that is the first way that you can know whether or not your spirituality is legit, if it's authentic. It's when you enjoy the love that Jesus has for you. It's when your life is marked by taking delight in the fact that he is your husband, he is your lover, he is, your, he is intimate with you personally. Now, g- going back to Catherine, uh, a few years ago she went to a U2 concert in Atlanta. And gearing up for this concert, she, you know, everybody was telling her they are amazing live, you're going to love it, they're just incredible live. And so Catherine went, and she, she came back and was like, it really was incredible. It was almost like a worship concert. It was that um, emotional and amazing. Now, now, when she went to that concert, uh, did, she have, did she have any new information about you two? No. All she was doing was, was experiencing what she already knew to be true. Or, or think of another example. Let's say someone comes up to you and says, dude, man, you have got to eat at proper best restaurant in town, amazing collard greens. And let's say you believe it and say, okay, I, I will go. That sounds great. And you go and you eat the collard greens and you are floored because they are that amazing. Now, now, what happens after you eat them? Did you get any new information? No. You're just experiencing what you already knew to be true. It, it, here's why I bring this up. You can know that God loves you, that he cares for you, that is radically different from experiencing it, from savoring it, from delighting in the fact that he loves you. And really, I think most of our problems, most of your problems can be traced back to the fact that we don't enjoy the love that he has for us. We don't relish in who he is and what he has done. I mean, just think about it. When you, when you lie, why do you lie? You come up with lots of different reasons. You know, maybe you lie to impress people. Maybe you lie to get something. You, you lie to protect your own image. But why, why would you lie in those particular scenarios? It's because deep down, Jesus isn't precious to you. And you don't have the love and the intimacy that you want from him. And so you go and you try to find it from somewhere else. And so you lie just in order to get it. Or in another example, why would you, why would you mess around with your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Deep down... It's because Jesus isn't precious to you. You don't feel the love and the intimacy from him, and so you go and you find it somewhere else. If you had that satisfied already in Jesus, you wouldn't have to mess around and and be uh, premature in your intimacy with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Deep down, that's that's the explanation why we have the problems that we do, is deep down we don't relish and we don't enjoy the love that he has for us. Authentic spirituality is marked by enjoying the love that Jesus has for you, what he has done, and, and, and who he is. Now, before I, uh, before I jump to the second point, um, I, I want to address something here just in passing, because at this point, I think it's where a lot of Christians pervert our spirituality. Because for most Christians, what we focus on, what we obsess about, is what we are doing for him. 
we focus our attention on what either we've done for him, what we are doing for him, or what we will do for him in the future. And that preoccupies all of our thoughts, and as a result, we're basically just obsessed with ourselves. Eugene Peterson, who's one of my favorite authors, theologians, uh, writers, which is just another way of saying author, uh, he says this, uh, I heard him say this at one point, he writes this, we've all met a certain type of spiritual person. She's a wonderful person, she loves the Lord, she prays and reads the Bible all the time, but all she thinks about is herself. She's not a selfish person, but she's always at the center of everything she's doing. How can I witness better? How can I do this better? How can I take care of this person's problem better? It's me, 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 disguised in a way that's difficult to see because her spiritual talk disarms us. Christianity is not primarily about what you are doing for him. Rather, it is primarily about relishing in what he has done for you. That's a massive distinction. Christianity is not primarily about what you are doing for him or what you will do for him or what you have done for him. It is primarily about relishing in and delighting in what he has already done for you. That's the first way that you can know if your spirituality is authentic, is if you enjoy the love of Jesus. But Jesus goes on, and he brings up this other point. You will know that your spirituality is authentic if you submit to the agenda of Jesus. In other words, here's what he's about to say. He's about to say, look, if you want to enjoy my love, if you want to relish in and delight in who I am and what I've done for you, you have to undergo a complete makeover. I have to overhaul you completely. And here's where I get this from. There's two, uh, two images he uses. If you look at verse 21, he uses this image, and he's basically saying, look, if you take a new, uh, if you take old pair of pants that has a rip in it, and you want to patch it up, and so you get a new, pe- a new piece of cloth, and you sew it onto the hole, when you wash that pair of jeans or whatever, uh, that new piece of cloth will shrink. And because it's sewn to the old piece of cloth, it will actually pull, and it will tear, and it will make the old tear worse. And he's basically saying that the old and the new just don't mix. And then he uses this other image in verse 22. He he says, look, if you want to make wine, the way that you make wine is you pour new wine into wine skins. They didn't bottle it. They didn't have bottles back then. They put it in animal skins. And the reason why they would put it in new wine skins is because new wine skins were flexible. They were were supple. And so as as the wine was poured in and it was capped, it would begin to ferment and gas would be released and pressure would build up and it would start to expand like a balloon. And the the new wine skins can handle that. But if you put new wine into an old skin that's already done that, it's almost like it's, it's a brittle skin. And so as the pressure builds up, it can't expand and so it bursts and wine breaks out. And here's Jesus' basic point with these two images. He's basically saying this. You can't fit me into your existing ways of thinking, into your existing ways of living. You can't, I will not conveniently accommodate to your life. Think about it like this. If you brought, let's say I have a, uh, an iPhone up here and a, and a droid. Two radically different phones different companies, two different operating systems. And let's say you download the same app onto both. You download Angry Birds onto both of them. Now, they're both basically the same exact phone as they used to be. Same exact company, same exact phone, same exact operating system. The app doesn't change anything really about the phone. And this is how many of us think about Jesus. 
We, we think, you know, we download a little Jesus into our life, and when uh, it's convenient, or when I feel guilty, or when I feel like I need a little moral pick-me-up, I just click the app. But really, at the end of the day, it's the same basic life, same basic operating system, same basic way of thinking that you were before. You just have a little Jesus decoration in your life. And Jesus is saying, by these two metaphors, I will not be a little religious decoration in your life. I will not be a little app that you can just conveniently click on. I do not accommodate to your operating system. If I come into your life, I rewire the whole thing. The whole thing gets overhauled. The whole thing undergoes a complete makeover. And actually, this is, this is the way to joy. We'll talk about that here in a second. But, but I want to get... I want to get a little practical about this. The, the way that you will know that your spirituality is authentic is when you, when you submit to his agenda for your life, when you basically authorize him to completely change you, transform you, do whatever he wants to pre, you know, put pressure on something, change this, remove that. When you submit to his surgical work in your life. And I want to make four very practical Applications, and I'll be quick on this before we before we move on. But uh, but here's the first application. This means that Jesus will not fit into your social paradigm. And what I mean by that is there there is a paradigm. There's a way of thinking here at App among students that says I want to be popular. I want to be cool. I, I want. I want people on the inside of this clique to like me and to accept me. And so you live for that, you serve that, and because you're living for that and serving that, you will not associate with people that are awkward, that are weird, and that the people that these insider group thinks are are losers. Because if you associate with them, they jeopardize your social standing. So you avoid them in order to serve popularity, insider, elitist, Whatever. And we slap a little Jesus on this whole way of thinking, this whole approach to life, and say, well, I'm just, I'm just really serious about community. I just really want to dive into, like, real Christian community with my group of friends. And, uh, you know, I just want to be around like-minded people. And we slap a little Jesus on it. We, we put a steeple on our agenda. And we, what we're doing is we're trying to fit Jesus into our social paradigm. And Jesus says, I, want to, I won't fit into that. I'm going to explode that. Because when you serve popularity, you can't serve popularity and me. He won't fit. That's the first application. He won't fit into your social paradigm, and he he will not fit into your dating paradigm. You know there is a set way of dating in college, in high school. And the way that it works is basically this. You know, when I'm, when, when we get official, when we're, you know, FBO official, and it's on Facebook, and we're legit... Now I have rights to this person's body that I didn't have before. I mean, there are, there are Christians that believe this, that think, of course, we can lay on the couch and make out for three hours because we're dating. Uh, of course, I can take my girlfriend's bra off because we're dating. Uh, as long as we're not going all the way and uh, we're committed to each other, Jesus is cool with it. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to fit Jesus into the culture's way of dating and he won't fit. He's going to explode it. He won't fit in your social paradigm. He won't fit into your dating paradigm. He won't fit into your resume building paradigm. And what I mean by this is that there's a way of living where you say, you know, I prize success above everything else. 
And what that means is uh, I work as hard as I can. I've got to be the best. And, and, and I am serving success so I can be the, the, the best of my class, so I can get the best job, so I can get the most amount of money. And you're willing to do whatever it takes to go that path, which means uh, you work incredibly hard. You don't rest. You never make real time for your friends. Uh, you don't spend time with the Lord personally. You sacrifice all of that to serve the God of success. And what you're really doing is, is thinking, okay, I want this life of money and comfort and a big, nice house and ease. And what you're really driven by are just the values of materialism and greed and elitism and the American dream. And you slap a little Jesus on it and say, well, I'm just doing all things to the glory of God. I'm, I'm working with excellence. And Jesus is saying, you will not let me, I will not fit into that paradigm. I'm going to explode it. You can't, you can't worship me and also value materialism, greed, and elitism and the American dream. I don't fit with that. The last little application I want, I want to show you here is that Jesus, he won't fit into your political paradigm either. I mean, all of us have our different political perspectives and all of us basically kind of run to the Bible and try to find places that defend our particular position. And we say, well, look, uh, Jesus fully endorses the Republican Party. Or we say, you know, Jesus fully endorses the Democratic Party. And we slap a little Jesus on it and try to fit Jesus into our little man-made cultural political values. And Jesus says, I won't fit. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not on your level. I'm above your level. I don't fit into your paradigms. Look, this is basically what Jesus is saying with all of this. He will not let you just have a little bit of Jesus in your life. Just download a little Jesus that you can kind of click that app when you feel like it's convenient. Come to RUF Wednesday night, click the little app, go home, turn that app off, and go about your life. Jesus is saying, I won't fit. I do not fit into your life. And, and really, remember, I, I, want, I want you to see that these first two points really do go together. You will not get to the joy. You won't get to the delight you won't enjoy the love of Jesus if you're trying to fit him into, into your life. Because basically what you're doing then is, is at the end of the day, your life is just really just about you. And Jesus is the add-on. And, and maybe the reason why you're bored in your relationship with Christ, maybe the reason why you find him dull or boring or you're apathetic towards him is because that's what you're doing. You're living your life with your values and doing whatever you want and your hopes and dreams. And Jesus is an add-on. He's an accessory. Of course, that's why you don't delight in him and enjoy him. Who delights and enjoys an app beyond a week? (laughs) But this is his whole point. If you want the joy, you've got to submit. You have to submit to my agenda for your life. Now, I know some of you at this point are thinking, okay, how in the world, why in the world would I give Jesus that much authority, that much power? How can I be that vulnerable to him? What, what, What if he comes in here and totally blows things up? What if he takes this person out of my life? What if he changes my aspirations for this? What if he, how can can I know that he's good? How can I know that I can trust him? Well, really, that's that's the third and the last thing I want you to see tonight. You will know that your spirituality is authentic, that it's legit, that it's real when you understand the story of Jesus. And where I get that from, if you look at verse 19 and 20, that's basically what Jesus is doing. He's telling the gospel story, even though he's being a little cryptic. He says, you know, I 
the bridegroom am currently with my disciples. And that's why they're not fasting. That's why they're not grieving. But a day will come when I will be taken from them. And on that day they will grieve. On that day they will fast. Now what is he talking about? What day being taken away from them? What is he talking about? He's talking about the day of his death. The day of his death. On that day they will fast. On that day they will mourn. On that day they will grieve. Because what happens at his death, on the cross, Jesus, like the garment, is being ripped. Like the wineskin, he's being torn and his blood is flowing out. Why? Why is Jesus undergoing this sort of torment on the cross? The reason is, is because he loves you. He is dying in your place. He is undergoing what you deserve because he loves you. He's for you. And therefore the cross is the objective historical demonstration that he is for you. He loves you. That's what the cross is screaming at you. He's willing to undergo that in order to get you. And when you begin to look through the lens of the cross, that's when, when you begin to understand the story of Jesus, as it were, that's when you begin to trust him. When you want him to come in and undergo massive renovation of your life. Look, I heard a, uh, an illustration from another pastor uh, in New York City named Tim Keller that uh, was really helpful and really clarifying for me. And it kind of goes like this. I mean, I tweaked it a little bit, but the basic point I stole from him. But uh, he says, okay, so if Jesus lived and died for you, for you, that means that salvation is completely of grace. It's completely free to use. It's a gift. It's free. But just because something is free doesn't mean that it necessarily changes your life. For example, when you all first got to school, they gave you the free little planners, the little planners with the App State logo on it. You know, everyone got one. It was free, free gift. But that doesn't really change your life, right? Why? Because it's, uh, it's not costly. It's, it's not indispensable. You could basically get that anywhere. But what if you had an illness and you were completely poor? And this illness was such that if you didn't get it treated, you were going to die. But you have uh, no money, and you have no connections. And actually, there's no one in your country that can do this particular surgery. And if you don't get this thing treated, you're going to die. But what if you have a friend who's a little wealthier than you, and they liquidate all of their assets. They sell everything they have to give you enough money to get on a plane to go to another country to get this surgery done. And you go, and you get treated, and you live. It's free. But that changes your life. Why? Because it's, it's incredibly costly. It's completely indispensable. You can, you can never get that ever again. Look, when you look at what Jesus went through on the cross, that he was undergoing hell itself on the cross in your place, that's what begins to change you. When you begin to see, this is what he experienced. There's no way I could ever pay back what he, uh, what, what he gave me. There's no way I could ever pay it back. Even if I went to hell for an eternity, I could never pay back what I owe him. That's what begins to awaken love. Love awakens love. Sacrificial love for you awakens sacrificial love for him. An explosion of joy. And so when you see the cross, when you see the story of Jesus, that he was willing to bankrupt himself for you, that's when you see that he is for you, that he delights in you, that he loves you, he wants you to thrive, he wants you to enjoy life. And so when he comes into your life and he starts 
challenging you and putting pressure on you and exploding this relationship and changing this and exposing you and confronting you, what he is doing, you can know deep down because of the cross, he's not out to get you. He's not trying to punish you. He's not trying to make you pay for something. He's actually loving you. When you look through the lens of the cross, that's what gives you the, an amazing amount of reassurance that he is for you, that he loves you. So, is your spirituality authentic? Is it real? Well, Jesus makes this claim. You will know that your spirituality is authentic when you enjoy the love of Jesus, when you submit to the agenda of Jesus, and then when you understand the story of Jesus. And the question I want to leave you with tonight is this. Is that you? Let me pray. Father, we do ask that you would give us the grace to see the cross, to believe it deeply, to lean into the grace that is presented in it, and therefore to have the resources to trust you, to know that when you come in, when you change things, when you explode things, when you expose things, that you're not out to get us, but you're actually loving us. And Father, I do pray that we would trust you, we would submit in you and submit to you and delight in the love that you have for us. Be, just marvel at the fact that you would love people like us that are so prone to wander and we feel it. I do pray that you would come Thou fount of every blessing. And really do uh, tune our hearts to sing your grace, to sing it, to savor it. And that would be our prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.